0: Let's talk about gravity. It's a constant. It affects everything and everyone. It's a relentless weight that never gives up in pulling us down. But gravity can be defeated. force is applied that is greater than the force of gravity, then and only then can we say that we are defying gravity. Well, good morning, folks think it's a little ironic that I get to come up here in front of you and talk about defying gravity, and you just get to see a rocket ship blasting off, and you know the news from this week, two of them crashed and burned. And so... I'm gonna to talk to you about crashing and burning from my perspective. <laughs> oh, um, I guess there's a great object lesson in one of those. I don't know which one of those two, you know, the one on the East Coast, they hit the destruct button and blew it up. And the other one apparently broke up in flight and and one of the guys bailed out. Um, sometimes you maybe you need a parachute. Um, anyway, this series is called Gravity. And I'm really, really fortunate and honored to be here talking to you. Although at this service, you know what? I'm looking around the room and and there are more people that I know in the first service than I know here. Um, I'm Keith Couts, and I've gone to church here for a long time and this is kind of my family this church. And and I love you guys and I'm really honored to be able to, to share a little experience from my own life and a little truth that God taught me this week um, about fear and anxiety. Um, But before we jump into that, as I was thinking about what pulls us down, this week I considered, well, wait a minute, wait, wait, just a minute. What's the opposite of being pulled down? What's the opposite of gravity? It's got a word? I don't know. Here's the word I picked, soaring. What's the opposite? It's soaring. In fact, in Isaiah, there's that scripture that says, if those who hope in the Lord will soar on wings like eagles. And I thought about soaring. And if any of you have ever flown in a glider or in a hot air balloon or even a small plane, you get this perspective of the earth just and all the problems and cares down there away from you and you're just soaring. And, and sometimes we soar spiritually. And, and when you've done that, wow, isn't that good? I mean, isn't that like what we were made to do? It's so cool to soar spiritually. And so I want to suggest that maybe at the end of this series of sermons about gravity and and how to overcome things that pull us down, um, we ought to have one, or at least we ought to have a talk, about what things help us soar. Because that's really what I want to do. Um, That's really what I want to feel. soaring when i when i'm soaring with god spiritually life is so peaceful life is so good life you're so certain that things are right and you think this is good and then something comes in something happens something distracts me something takes my focus and and folks it's not just like gravity pulling me down by a rope a little bit it's like Crashing and burning. Um, And that reminded me of a video that I want to share with you. So, Roy, will you play that video for us? today, and I'm getting to talk to you about fear and anxiety and worry, because that's the distraction. That's me. That guy is me, folks. That's what pulls me down spiritually the most. And I knew that, and I had a plan for a lesson to share with you today about how I deal with fear and anxiety and worry and it has some three great points to it it's a a cool lesson and as I'm preparing this week to teach you this fear and anxiety and worry got a hold of me got a hold of me big time Tuesday night 3am folks I am up and my gut is wrenching and I can't go to sleep and the world is going downhill. And I had to have a little talk with God and I said, God, these things, these tools that I have to deal with fear and anxiety and worry that I want to tell my church family about aren't working so good. What's going on here? And frankly, it's not easy for me to stand up here and tell you that I'm not always strong and 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 folks, I think I'm a fairly strong guy, and I deal with some hard things in life, and, uh, and I can sort through them and do the right thing. And I don't choose to be afraid. And I don't choose to be anxious. And I don't choose to have a couple flashbacks that caused me a great deal of fear this week, and I'm going to tell you about one of those. And I know the Bible. I grew up in the church. Folks, 110 times in the Bible it says either do not fear or don't be afraid or fear not. And another 20 times it says be courageous or be strong and courageous. Come on, Keith. Don't fear. I know that. But it doesn't seem to play out all the time in practice. So today, I want to talk with you a little about what I thought we were going to talk about and, and then some things that God showed me for dealing with fear and anxiety and worry. Now, there's two key scriptures for you in your program, and I think many of you probably know these scriptures, 1 Peter 5.7 and Psalm 55.22, and they're great things, they're great statements from God to us for dealing with fear and anxiety, Right? First Peter five seven, and that we're going to be a lot on first Peter five seven today. It says, Cast all your anxiety on him, for he cares for you. And Psalm fifty five twenty-two says, Cast your cares on the Lord and He will sustain you. Okay? I know these scriptures. And I know how bad worry and fear is. but it's not so easy just to say eh, I'm not going to fear or I'm not going to worry the thing that pulls me down spiritually causes me to crash and burn when I am soaring with God is fear and anxiety and worry and, and I'm pretty sure you all know about this um, in varying degrees I think everybody does what happens when you have fear and anxiety and worry wake up at night, can't go back to sleep, your stomach churns, I got a whole thing of Maalox. Um It divides and distracts my mind. That anxiety and worry or that thing I'm focused on just splits my focus. And I know there should be things over here I want to do and accomplish, but this thing over here is taking my attention and it's dragging me away from it. Um, and the negative things feed themselves you ever been there? the little bad thing becomes worse and worse and worse and by 4am I'm convinced that the world will end yeah And 5 a.m. I'm still not back to sleep, and 6 a.m. I'm getting up trying to do the chores, and then at 8 o'clock I'm trying to, I'm feeling lousy at work because I'm still afraid to death about this thing. Um, Fear, anxiety, and worry. Here's what it does, folks. It prevents me from seeing reality. It prevents me from seeing the truth and you've all been there sometimes our fear and anxiety is a little rational sometimes there's things to really be worried about we'll talk about them in a minute sometimes it's real but sometimes it's not real and sometimes it's a blend but whichever it is when you start when I start focusing on it anyway I can't see the world clearly second thing that fear anxiety and worry does for me is it just robs me from joy you think I'm joyful on any of those days Wednesday you think I was joyful not And, and the third thing that it does is it prevents me from being who I want to be. It's kind of a counterproductive thing. Here's one of the biggest worries that I have and fears is for my kids. And I think parents know about that. And for those of you with little kids, just wait till they get to be adults. Yeah, yeah, all the adult parents, all the parents of adults are laughing now. Boy, is that ever true. Um, but you know, when I'm afraid for them, when I become anxious for them, it prevents me from being the rational, loving, strong, good dad that I need to be. It takes me out of the game. This fear, anxiety, and worry is not a good thing. And it's no wonder that in, in Scripture God says 130 times, don't do it. But the problem is, how, how do I not do that? So, So what makes you fear? Well, on those programs, on the little outline that you have, you have a place where you can write down the things that make you fear, and you can write down the things that make you sore. And that's just an exercise for during this week. And I think it would really be fun to have a discussion about what things make us fear and what things make us sore. On Friday morning, I'm part of a a group of guys that gets together, and we have a little book study. And it's, it's a great, it's the best thing that happens to me. And for those of you who are in small groups, you know about this. It's just fantastic to do it. So, this last Friday morning, I asked my buddies, What things are you guys afraid of? What things make you afraid? And I told them I was going to tell you all. So, uh, <laughs> they're all the same. Um, the things that we're afraid of often is for others more than ourselves sometimes it's for ourselves but often you know for our kids for our friends for our family sometimes it's for our own health sometimes it's for aging worried about where my future's going to go sometimes we get anxious and fearful about relationships sometimes we're afraid of loneliness sometimes we're afraid that when we get in a relationship that's not going to work out or it's not going so good um, Anyone who has some kind of a degree of responsibility in their job or in their life, sometimes we're afraid of failure. They're all the same for all of us. Here's the things that kept me awake this week. Um, First of all, my mother's been sick. A month ago she had this little biopsy procedure that should have been an outpatient thing and she ended up in the hospital for three weeks after the result it just one thing after the actual bad to worse to worse to like she might die and and then she got a little better and went home and has been home for a week and on Tuesday I went to see her and <laughs> she looked bad to me anyway in fact I looked at her and I got this little flashback. And I don't know if any of you ever get flashbacks or remembrances of something similar. And I flashed back to the last days of my grandmother's life. And my mother looked just like that. And I thought, my goodness, she's at the end. And I was afraid. And I was fearful for that. second thing that happened this week is... uh, we have, we have three kids, and two of them are in college, and one's a school teacher in Cheyenne, and, and each of them had some stressful things going on, S- some really pretty important stressful things. And I got real worried about how are their lives going to turn out. Real anxious. And actually, that's when I wasn't sleeping at 3 a.m. And the third thing that stressed me out and got me really anxious this week, and actually it was a little at the end of last week. And I told you this, Dave, my buddy. My good friends are Dave and Cheryl Stoger. And you know, Cheryl's going through this cancer surgery. And Dave called me on the phone and said, you know, the pathology on the tissue around the tumor that they took out, they need to take some more. And so Cheryl's going back into surgery. Folks, I got one of these flashbacks, and it scared me to death. And the flashback, it's hard for me to tell you guys this, was on a Sunday morning up there in the balcony, and I was, I'm a Sunday school teacher, and I'm teaching our Sunday school class, and I find out that our good friend Sandy Schwartzkopf died of breast cancer. Dave, I couldn't hardly talk to you on the phone Fear was gripping me Anxiety was getting me I called Karen and told her about this She handled it pretty well And man, I just, all day long I couldn't get you off my mind, Cheryl So, good or bad, that's where I was A little fear A little anxiety None of this was voluntary It just happened And frankly, I tried to do what those two verses said. I tried to cast all my anxiety on him. Now let me... By the way, it's not always bad to be up at three in the morning, guys. Seriously. I prayed a lot for you at three in the morning, Joe. That's a good thing. I prayed for all my kids. I mean, we got a long list of stuff I got done at three. I just need to go back to sleep by about 3.30, and that wasn't happening. Yeah. Yeah, you, You guys know how that works. Um... So today I want to work with you a little on 1 Peter 5.7, on that verse. And let's see if we can find out how to get better at casting our cares on him. Because what I was going to tell you about, and there's these three points, and I'll mention them in a minute. I had done them, but they weren't working out so good. I was still scared. I am still anxious. Okay? 1 Peter 5.7. I think it's up there. There we go. I have three versions for you up there. The New International Version, which most of you have, and, it, and it's a good, easy, reasonable version. It says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And we're going to talk about this letter Peter wrote to some Christians in the Roman Empire in the early days. Um, the New American Standard, that's what NAS stands for. Its version says, little comma, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And then I added another one. It's the, called the Phillips, or the J.B. Phillips translation. And it's a paraphrase written by a theologian in England. And, and I really like it, by the way. If you ever want to get read another version of the Bible that has the truth in it, but it ex- uses words that maybe explain it a little better, J.B. Phillips is good. And he says his version says, You can throw the whole weight of your anxieties on him. For you are his personal concern. So there's there's 1 Peter 5 7, and you can look at look at those. I I knew that, and I knew the truth of that. But I want to figure out how to actually do it so it works. Well, let's briefly talk about the anxieties, and then we're going to talk about casting and what, what that amounts to. Anxieties. Um, Peter wrote this book as a letter to early Christians in the Roman Empire and so the first thing I wondered is did they have the same anxieties as us I think they did when I talked to my buddies they all had the same anxieties I watch people at work all week and even if you know where I work I see a lot of people with fear and anxiety and stress and it's all the same those early Christians who were, got the letter from Peter um, lived under the emperor Nero. And, and if you know anything about church history, you know about how Nero treated Christians. He's the guy who came up with the lions in the auditorium. He made it legal in Rome to tie up Christians and drag them behind chariots until they were dead. Nero had gardens and he entertained in his gardens at night and, and I'm not, this is horrific, I'm not kidding you for, for lighting in his gardens he tied up Christians and dipped them in tar and lit them on fire and that entertained these people now, think about it you're, you're a new believer, they're all new believers I mean, they all got to be new Christians, right? And Christianity hasn't been around very long. And the emperor and the whole society hates you and would like to destroy you. And so a lot of these Christians bailed and, or, or were taken out of Rome to places out around the empire, and, and they're called exiles. And that's who Peter writes this letter to, exiles. Um, and by the way, now, I don't want you to think that I'm a great theologian or Student of this stuff This is really easy In our world Don't we have a great world With the internet you guys I went and I googled The background to First Peter And I got There's a whole There's this stuff I just told you And a whole lot more It's really cool What you can do Okay um, So we fear and worry about the, about the same things You know those early Christians They feared for their kids They feared about failure They feared for their health They feared if they were Going to be alive tomorrow same things, and Peter says, "We'll just cast that anxiety on him." We know that fear feeds itself too, right? The more afraid you are, the more you think about it, the worse it gets. So let's look at what First Peter five seven says we should do with anxiety. The next part of that verse says, Cast or throw your anxiety on him. Now, before we talk about casting or throwing, let's take a quick look at what that verse doesn't say. Because I think that's pretty important for me to know. There's some things I might want to do that he didn't say. First of all, Peter didn't say, Deny that this worry or anxiety exists. He didn't say, suppress it, or repress it. He didn't say, ignore it. And you know, that's a common approach nowadays. Ignore it, it'll go away. He didn't say, ignore your anxieties. And and in fact, you know what's going to happen if you ignore it. It gets worse. It doesn't get better. It comes back. And it comes back again, only bigger. Here's a big one for me that he didn't say. He didn't say, hey, couch, buck up. He didn't say, cowboy up. He didn't say, what's the matter with you, you sissy? You're worried. You're, you're fearful. You're weak. What's wrong with you? Be strong. He didn't say that, and I'm really glad he didn't say that. Sometimes I tell myself that, and it doesn't help much. He didn't say, run away, flee from anxiety. And actually, I don't know how you would flee from it. At 3 a.m., there's nowhere to go. This is all happening between my two ears. And you know, it's really important for our society and for all of us, and, and especially for you young people in this audience, No, he didn't say cover it up. Boy, do we try to cover it up. We try to cover it up with alcohol. We try to cover it up with medicine or illegal drugs. We try to cover it up with relationships. Or we change relationships to get rid of the anxiety we try to cover it up by excess we have huge excess in entertainment the kinds of things we're willing to watch and say that's entertainment or listen to that all relates to the neuroses in, the, in us th- that we would think that somehow that gives us release we try to cover it up with excesses in what we eat boy that's me When I'm stressed, just bring me some chocolate. Or what we spend. We try to cover it up. And, And it's important to note, he didn't say any of those things. So maybe there's a lesson already there for somebody in here today. You know what? God gives us a straight up straight-on lesson about how to deal with fear and anxiety when it causes us to crash and burn. And that's to cast it on him. Well, what does cast it on him mean? Peter uses a... In, he wrote this, in, this letter in Greek, and he uses a very graphic Greek word that means to throw, or to cast, or to heave, or to hurl something. And I mean hurl like a javelin, not hurl like, you know. Um, Somebody from the last service said, is that the kind of hurl you meant? And I said, no, it's not. Um, There's only one other place in, in Scripture where this same Greek word is used. And that Greek word is used in Luke 19.35. And if you look there, you'll see that's the story of Palm Sunday and Jesus is making the triumphal entry, riding into Jerusalem. And there's a place where they got this colt for Jesus to ride on. And and Luke says that some people threw or cast their coats up on this colt so that Jesus could sit on them. So it's kind of like saddling a horse. Now, I know a number of you are cowboys and I know that you know how to saddle horses. And I want you to think about this. When you saddle a horse, can you be hesitant? No. Can you say, "Well, okay, here's the saddle blanket. Let me see. I'm going to I'm going to put it up here, maybe not. Nah, I don't know if I want to get it all the way up there. Let, let me and you hang on to it or you hang on to the saddle, you get yourself really connected to this saddle and they try to get it on the horse but you're still connected to it no no to get it on to cast it on the horse these people had to take it and I mean you've seen it it's a beautiful thing when a cowboy strong cowboy does it up it goes away from you and lands on that horse and it's now a burden on him it's not a burden on me anymore not even connected to me that's the verb that Peter uses here cast your cares, toss it up and over so it's away from you and lands on him. Okay, so that's a great picture. Cast your cares on him. And folks, there was my sermon for you. There was the message I was going to give you about how to do that. Three points, and I'll mention them to you here in a minute. But I had three three things that I do. And you know what? They didn't work this week. Folks, I did those things, and it didn't work out. I'm still fearful and anxious. Well, then by by God's grace, um, I was listening to a website called One Place. Have every any, anybody even know about OnePlace.com? Look it up. They have hundreds of sermons and all these great speakers from around the United States. And I like, I like good sermons. And one of those sermons was from a pastor in Cleveland named Alastair Begg. And he's Scottish. And I love his, he has a Scottish bro- brogue. And he talks, preaches that way. And it's great, and I was listening to him. And so what I'm going to share with you now is from this message that Alastair Begg, that I listened to this week, because it applied directly to me. It was a lesson for me, when I was trying to prepare to talk to you guys. Let's look at 1 Peter 5-7, and we'll understand a little better how to cast our cares on him. To start with, we have to have a little Greek-English grammar lesson. Now, I'm not a Greek theologian, but you know, you don't have to be. It's really easy nowadays, with the Internet again. You can go online and look up on the Bible.com and Bible Gateway and um, StudyLight.org. That's a really good one. You can look at the Greek of any verse you want. You can look at how the the grammar works, the Greek, the verbs conjugate. You can figure. You can see it all. You can see hundreds of versions. Listen, read commentaries on them. It's fantastic what study you have. You don't have to go to seminary. Um, so anyway, I, I went on there and I looked and. And here's, a, here's an important thing for you to know. Um, a verb. Let's start with a verb. A verb is an action word, right? And the word cast, cast those things, that's a verb. That's an action word. A verb can be either an imperative or it can be a participle. Okay? An imperative is when the verb is the subject of the thing. It's what it's about. So if this is an imperative... Cast all your cares on him. That's what the focus is, is on that casting. If it's a participle, then it gets to be various kinds of participles. But this one, in the Greek, turns out to be a present participle. And the important thing to know about a present participle is that it relates to something else it's an action that you take in, 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 in that you do, but, but you do it to accomplish some other imperative. And you keep on doing it at the present time. That's the present participle. How we do that in the English language is we add ing to the word. And so the word probably ought to be translated for you casting instead of cast. Well, I go back to that first slide or second slide I showed you. The New American Standard translated this as casting all your cares on him. Now, I want to take a minute and say there's, there's not a problem with the New International Version. It's accurate and it's correct. And so is the New American Standard, and they're both good. The point of the New International is that they try to simplify things so they're easily understood, and they don't like long sentences. If you take a look, read the New International. You don't find long run-on Big, complicated sentences. They break things down into sentences, short ones. New New American Standard is willing to do a longer one if that's how the original Greek worked. So, something occurs before that present participle casting your cares that relates to it. How are we going to find that out? We've got to look back at verse 6. And here's 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. The verse before says, Humble yourselves. There's the imperative in the Greek. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. There's the whole statement. Not just cast your cares on him. Wow. Folks, I listened to that when Alistair Begg explained it and it was like God is saying, listen, Couts, you got a whole lesson ahead of you. So buckle up because the key for you To be able to cast your cares on me is to humble yourself under my hand first. Folks, I resisted that. I didn't want to hear that lesson. I did not want to think that I had any humility problem. I didn't want to think that when I was fearful and anxious about things, that there was a big dose of me in it. But God was saying there is. So I chewed on it for a while. And and what do you know? When I really humble myself under God's mighty hand, and we're going to talk about what that means in a minute, it changes. It changes the way I deal with this fear and anxiety. Let me make a simplistic analogy that I thought of. Here's an irrational fear. Do you guys remember John Madden? He was the coach of the Oakland Raiders, won Super Bowls, big guy, great analyst on CBS for football. John Madden was deathly afraid of flying. He went all over the country um, covering football games, and he wouldn't get on a plane. So how do you do that? He had a a big, long bus, one of those fancy-dancy things, you know, and multiple drivers They drove overnight Through the night every, It took him everywhere But he never got on a plane he, he went by bus He's afraid of flying So Suppose you're John Madden And you're afraid of flying um, And you have to get on the plane And you're sitting there About ready to take off And your stomach is turning And your palms are sweating And the fear and anxiety Has taken over And you can't think of anything Now Now at that point you might not think about it consciously in your head but underlying this fear that you have you have an assumption that the pilot doesn't know what he's doing you have an assumption that the guys that built the airplane thought they were building an erector set you had an assumption that the air traffic controllers are sleeping. Or maybe you have this assumption that all a bunch of them is bozos and you're going to die. Well, it seems silly, doesn't it? And so you have this choice. You're John Madden sitting there. You have this choice. And your choice is, I'm going to be anxious and worried and conclude that you guys... You pilot who has 27,000 hours and is certified to fly this plane and and you aircraft engineers who know things that I could never even dream of have no clue what you're doing. Or I can humble myself under their hand and say, you know what? This This is beyond me. I can't do this. This is something that's your business, and you're way bigger and better than me. In fact, I can't. Now, it's not a perfect analogy, but it, but it kind of is a pretty good analogy. Because for me to humble myself under God's mighty hand, I have to say, you know what, God? God? You're God and I'm not. I have to say, God, you know Dave and Cheryl. You know how this is going to turn out. I have to say, God, you're in charge of my kids more than me. For crying out loud, they're adults. I can't cause anything to happen or not happen. I have to say, God, you have appointed the days that we live and how things will turn out. And you know all the fantastic things my mother has done in my life? And God, I'm not you. And when I humble myself under God's mighty hand, I get this message back. God says, I'm the one who cares for you, I'm the one who cares for Dave and Cheryl, I'm the one who cares for my kids or your kids folks maybe we can make a principle from this and here's what I think the principle might be the presence of fear and anxiety is directly related to the absence of humility think that one through the presence of fear and anxiety is directly related to the absence of humility Well, let's test that. Is that true? Do we see that to be true? Is it true in our society? Folks, I have to tell you, I think our society today has less humility toward God than at any other time in history. We don't acknowledge God as the source of life, as the source of truth. Um, This society we live in, unfortunately, is godless, or nearly so. And you know what? This society today is more neurotic and more anxious and more fearful and chasing after all these other ways to deal with the anxiety and fear than in any other time. And here's the whole solution if we would humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God. So so maybe the principle is true with society. Well, is it true for me? <sighs> I didn't think I needed to humble myself before God. But when I was honest about myself, I have to admit, I was putting way more of me in that fear and anxiety than I was putting God. I was remembering exclusively how I felt when Sandy died. I was remembering how I felt when my kids had stress and trouble i was remembering it was all about me and it was about me wanting to be in charge so so folks i think it's a true principle the presence of fear and anxiety is directly related to the absence of humility well if i humble myself before god if i say god you're you and i'm not what are the results Well, there are three pretty easy results. And now, the original sermon I was going to give you, these were the three points. And these are things that I do, that I like to do when I'm fearful, because often they work. And the first is worship. But you know what? I found that when I really had a humility session before God, then my ability to worship soared. There we are, back to that soaring again. The second is to be grateful. You know, uh, there's there's another set of verses in Philippians, and you might want to look at them this week. When it says, don't be anxious, don't be worried. Instead, pray about everything with thanksgiving or with gratitude. So maybe part of the key I was going to give you all was, make a list of what you're grateful for and what you're thankful for, and that's a good thing. But folks, when I humbled myself before God, whoa, it was easy to soar with the gratitude. The list gets a lot easier for me when I did that. To be grateful for all the things I see, Dave and struggle in your lives, and for our friendship, and what do you mean to me, and for all the stuff with my kids and my mother, and I, it was just like a big—not a light bulb flickering—it was like a big light bulb coming on to me this week. The third thing I was going to tell you all is uh, having a relationship with other believers is the key to casting your cares on Him. When I'm fearful and anxious, I don't want to be around you guys. I don't want to be around anybody. My family stays out of my way. Um, you've probably been around somebody like that. Maybe you are like that. But, when I'm with you, when I interact and relate to you, my fear and anxiety diminishes. And so I was going to say that's a key, but you know what? When I humble myself before God, my ability to have those relationships soars even more. It's unbelievably how good it is. So the results of humbling myself before God, I'm going to say for me are, I'm able to do those things that help me cast my cares on him. Well, here's the principle I discovered. For me, the key to throwing my fear and anxiety on God is humbling myself under his hand and acknowledging that he is God and I'm not pretty simple thing. Folks, I didn't want a humility lesson this week. In hindsight, I think God taught me a gentle humility lesson. Usually those lessons are a little more painful if you've ever had any of those. But but that was the lesson for me. So, what happens in the rest of 1 Peter 5-7? Let's look at the end of the verse. The end of the verse says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares... For you wow Phillips remember that Phillips end of the Phillips statement because you are his personal concern you can take that to the bank folks that is one of the best statements in scripture to me I am God's personal concern you are his personal concern You can pray about your fears and be sure that those others are God's personal concern. I can be sure that my kids are God's personal concern. There's not any question about it. Why does that enable me to cast my anxiety on Him? I want to remember that principle. I I want to remember that principle. I hope you do all week long. You are God's personal concern. Keep it in front of you. There's a, a psalm that talks about this, and and I recommend you write it down. And in our house, actually, there's some things taped on mirrors in the bathroom, and this is worthy of taking on the mirror. And it's Psalm 121, and I'm going to ask Ty to come up, and and this this psalm is the basis for a song, and I'm going to read you the psalm, and then we're going to join in communion together. Um, while Ty plays this. Um, But here's Psalm 121. I will lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. You are his personal concern. I am his personal concern. What what an incredible truth. And folks, the, the essence, and I'm going to ask the ushers to come up to serve the communion. Um, the essence of that incredible truth is that he came here to die for us God became man and took all the penalty for all my anxiety and fear and sin and wiped that out and and that's why we celebrate communion um, so I'll ask pastors to come up and they'll pass the uh, elements of the communion and take them whenever you're ready on your own um Let me offer a prayer. Father God, I am so thankful for that truth that we are your personal concern. God, thank you that we don't have to be afraid or anxious, but that we can cast our cares on you. And God, I pray that we would would be able to humble ourselves and, and just relax in you being you and us being us. Um, Thank you for what you did on the cross and for sending your Son. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.